Hello there and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast season two. I'm your host Neve Brannigan and I am joined with Jerry Maguire. How are you this week Jerry? I'm Grant Neve. thank you very much for asking. How are you? No problem, I'm good, I'm good. I um, got, just got back from the Kerry Film Festival which was mm. really really brilliant festival I have to say and uh, this episode is going to be coming out a little bit later but this weekend coming up is the Richard Harris Film Festival Mm -hmm. and then there's Still Voices in Longford Mm. and then obviously we'll be coming into our own IFL Festival so it's just festival season. Loads of film festivals all over the place at the minute. What was your highlight from Kerry Film Festival if you had one? Oh god um there's a short called Ready. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one you're in? <laughs> I can't say that. Um, there was, I mean, Lakelands is such a great film and I'm really excited for more people yeah. to see that for when it comes out and we'll definitely have the lads on when that happens. But uh, it's just a really great film. And I think as well, the lads, for any kind of budding film uh, filmmakers who are out there as well, they just went about it in such a great way. The Rob and Patrick, the guys who made it, because they did their short and mm. um, that was kind of like they had four then funders or you know like to get support and stuff to send out and then it was kind of um a feature kind of roughly out of the idea of that short and i just think yeah. that's such a great idea for especially for your first short or first feature trying to get uh, it up and running you know yeah that's brilliant and you mentioned the richard harris film festival um one of the documentaries that's playing at a couple of screens in the UK at the minute is one that was at the Venice Film Festival called The Ghost of Richard Harris mm. by uh, a director called Adrian Sibley. So it's quite interesting to see that film out at the same time as the festival playing. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully it will kind of do the rounds, which is great. That's another thing yeah. is I just feel like there's so much to see. There is. Um, so in a way, it's great that there's so many festivals. It gives people more chances. Um, and also, again, to, to let people know that if you're listening over in Ireland uh, IFL do have a small section where you will be able to watch one or two bits online which I think is really yes. great um, so this week in the cinema I was supposed to go and see Banshees last night and I didn't make it so I'm very I'm still so excited because it's just getting the most amazing reviews I think I saw one review said it was flawless whoa it's not often you get the, like you, sometimes you do get five star reviews for films but mm. like something like this it's really rare to get such glowing reviews for it isn't mm-hmm. it I mean I I've think, not seen it yet either and I'm dying to see it yeah right. I've heard as well it actually kind of has taken a few people by surprise emotionally which I think is really oh, well. interesting so yes. um, I'll definitely go and see that and then yeah. we can chat about that uh, next week I'm hearing really good things about Barry Keown's performance in it as well Mm, definitely and then last night in Dublin uh, so it will be a week ago for this episode uh, there was the premiere of The Wonder uh, which I think will be out when this podcast is out which is really cool so both of us will have to go and see that and also chat about that one but that just looks stunning oh my god oh god yeah and the the red carpet footage from that last night that we were looking at online this morning Mm. that looks gorgeous and Mm -hmm. the film itself looks gorgeous an amazing cast it's the kind of film that i think irish audiences really go for i Mm -hmm. mean it's sort of in that vein of um period settings that are sort of re-exploring or re um, dramatizing or whatever, like recontextualizing our relationship with the English, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> to put Absolutely. it, no other way, to, yeah. no other way for me to say. We this. love those. We love them. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think it looks beautiful, like the cinematography and everything. And then um, obviously Florence Pugh is in it, and mm. also Neve Algar. So hopefully we'll be able to get Neve back on uh, to chat about it because I think that would be a great episode. That would it just be looks so great. Yeah. So what else is coming out? So, uh, on this, again, on the day that we release this podcast, it should be the release date for a brilliant documentary called Lyra, which um, we will be doing, will have done a preview screening of um, at the Bertha Dock House on Tuesday, November 1st. So it is a little bit weird. We're being quite open about the fact that we've recorded this in advance. Um, but yeah, I, I know that that will have been well attended because there's already loads of tickets sold for that and it's great to see it. Good. Um, and maybe there'll be a, uh, a chance for us to interview Alison Miller, the film's director, um, for a future podcast episode. I'd be really, really interested to talk to her on here as well. Um, and what else have we got? 
we've got Lorcan Finnegan's Nocebo mm-hmm, just be in out. time for Halloween yeah yeah brilliant um, Lorcan's previous films have been really really well made um, the trailer for Nocebo looks amazing obviously one that we've been tracking this year and that we want to see um, yeah incredible cast um, incredible filmmaker really really hope that does well for Lorcan as well he's a great guy and one thing as well I want to uh, point out for people who maybe were listening last time, uh, listening to us chat about our Irish Film London Festival programme, uh, we have an added masterclass, which I think is really cool. Tell us about that. We do. So um, as you probably know, our industry programme um, focuses on events that can help people get a little leg up in their career. And we talk to some people from across the Irish industry who are experts in their field. And we're really pleased that we've added a screenwriting masterclass Uh, which is a conversation that's going to take place between Mark O'Halloran who is the uh, screenwriter and one of the actors in the film Adam and Paul and Garage and he you know he wrote some of the episodes for conversations with friends Um, he pops up all over the place as an actor and a writer Um, so he's a brilliant Irish writer who's going to be in London for that and we're also um, also on that panel are the writer director duo Rachel Moriarty and Peter Murphy who are the writer directors of Rosha August Frank last week's episode so nice tie-in for the podcast there to be able to call back to that if you haven't listened to that episode yet by the way have a crack back and listen to that it's a a really lovely interview which reveals a lot about the film Mm -hmm. Um, and that's our closing gala that's our closing gala at the festival yeah while I'm on previous episodes um, the episode before that was our interview with Catherine Ferguson um, for Nothing Compares mm. Nothing Compares is still picking up awards um, that episode is still available for you to listen to do have a crack back and listen to that as well it's a lovely little uh, a slightly more concise interview because Catherine didn't have very much time to talk to us but mm-hmm. um, we covered a lot of ground or rather you covered a lot of ground in that name oh yeah I was going at 90 miles an hour I just didn't <laughs> want to stop talking but I was so anxious about holding her up but she was so brilliant yeah. um, and you know with these kinds of interviews as well sometimes you know they've done these a hundred times over so they're just pros they know exactly where I'm going and and yeah. what I'm going to say um but no it's great and I think as well I've come across loads of people going oh you know I went to see that nothing compares and just being so taken aback by it and yeah. you've been so kind of moved by it so I, I think yeah. it's great that it's uh it's still kind of out there and, and moving people mm. so yeah if you've seen it if you've gotten a chance to see it definitely go back and listen to that episode because uh she's just a she's a great director and I'm delighted she's uh, she's going to be doing more and more stuff absolutely yeah and yeah I mean there's loads of other great stuff in the Irish Film Festival London programme this year without wanting to dwell too much on it because you can of course always go to irishfilmlondon.com and check mm-hmm. out the full programme yourself there's loads of great fiction films in the programme that are probably worth mentioning really briefly as well as kind of classics like In Bruges which is screening sort of as a, a retrospective on you know on the basis that Banshees of Inisherin is out in the cinema now we wanted to do a little call back to that um i mean that duo though colin and brendan like what a phenomenal duo so (laughs) to see them maybe maybe do a double bill maybe like let's encourage our listeners go to banshees and then to imbruge or the other way around and just immerse yourself in the these irish amazing men I'm slightly uh, jealous I didn't think of that now actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay yeah so come to In Bruges uh, come to see The Quiet Girl that's our audience choice film honestly that's selling really well do snap mm. up your tickets for that as soon as you can obviously come to see Aisha our opening film in the West End come to see Rosha August Frank which is our closing film at the Riverside come to see The Bicycle Thieves uh, Bicycle Thieves Pumped Up which is a, a, a really 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 funny Irish comedy from last year which is getting its UK premiere on Thursday the 17th at our festival and come to see uh, Donald Foreman's new film The Cry of Granuel mm-hmm. that's uh, today's episode so I sat down with Donald who was uh, over in New York um, at one point I think you can hear the New York science in the background so he definitely <laughs> wasn't lying and we chatted about his film The Cry of Granuel and it was just so interesting I mean I think one of the things that I took away from it was I thought I was going to be sitting down and, you know, watching this kind of fact, you know, or biopic Mm. kind of thing. And it's actually interesting that we talk about fiction films because Mm -hmm. it balances that 
format of documentary style slash just you know fiction uh, feature film style of uh, filmmaking yeah. and he kind of blended the two of them together uh, really really impressively I thought yeah do you know what I've noticed something this year and even in some of the Irish films that I've seen come out where um, there is a sort of a, a lot of filmmakers are playing around with format and like um like film stock and you know cry of granuel is one that's shot in 16 millimeter it ma- really made me think about films like hole in the head by dean Kavanagh that came out earlier this year which really plays with camera format and you know the meaning of you know the sort of the specificity if you like of, of these different mm-hmm. camera formats and the way that it affects how we tell a story and i think the cry of granuel is a way is a film that talks about the way that we tell stories and how that affects the way that we remember legendary mm-hmm. figures like Granuel or Grace O'Malley or whatever you want to call her. Yeah. And I think as well, just even as a medium, like Donald chats um, throughout the interview at one point and we kind of talk about, you know, keeping film um, mm. alive, you know, and, and right. if you don't use it, you know, it will just, it will just at one point, you know, I mean, I imagine we might get there maybe at at some point it will just all be digital. But, you know, to try and keep that tradition of shooting on film alive. And yes, okay, it might be harder and, you know, time wise, it might be tougher and equipment wise. And actually he was saying it was hard to find people who were, um, you know, had experience in it. Mm. But if you don't push yourself to do it, then it will just kind of die out, you know. So I thought that was really... um, uh, yeah, I just thought that was really cool that he did it because he kind of he could easily just go, oh, you know. Yeah, no, it, I think that's too hard. I think that's really important, and you're you're right to mention that because you know as digital stuff becomes more prevalent, and it is like pretty much like ninety five percent of everything that you see now is on digital. Yeah. Like it is an art form that's going to die out, and like yeah, there's people around like. Um, have you been listening to the Eddie Lenehan podcast? There's this podcast called Tell Me a Story with Eddie Lenehan. Eddie's the um, the, the famous Shanahi who um, is quite vocal about um, us losing our folklore and our and our sort of oral tradition. Um, but Eddie's got this podcast that I've come across um, called Tell Me a Story with Eddie Lenehan. And he's, you know, he's a Shanahi, which means he's a storyteller who mm. keeps the oral tradition alive. And it's brilliant to see that there are people out there like him keeping the Irish oral tradition alive and in the same way I think people like Donal and Dean and people who play around with uh, with camera format and who, who want to continue using film they're keeping traditions of story of visual storytelling alive as well yeah exactly definitely and um, yeah I just think I, I kind of struggle I think at the moment with some new f- films that come out when you know you see these you might see these big shots of maybe a camera following a train or you know or a plane or whatever and my brain kind of goes but I know a camera can't do that you know what I mean (laughs) and then so then I know then it's I'm watching something really digital or affected or you know and it kind of takes me out of it a little bit so that is definitely one thing that this film does not do and it um, brings you in especially uh, gives you a very intense emotional experience I think this film so um, definitely check it out it's going to be in our festival in November so come and see it and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this interview so thanks a million Jerry. brilliant thanks Nave. if you're part of the regular Irish Film London audience or want to get more from your experience consider joining our growing family of members for a range of exciting benefits Irish Film London is a non-for-profit organisation Our mission is to promote the best new Irish film to audiences all over the UK and with the help of this podcast, the world. If you become a festival friend or a festival champion, you get perks like discounted tickets for films and events, free access to Irish film from home films and invites to networking events and so much more. So check it out now. Hello, Donal, and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today, especially being all the way over in New York. So I usually start my podcast off with just wanting to go right back to kind of the birth of the film, and I'm especially interested in this one. So I guess I'd love to know, when was the moment that you realised, I want to make a film about Grace O'Malley? Uh, well, i had been thinking about that for a long time yeah I'd had the the idea of like I would be interested to do something about her for 
for years and I knew the stories growing up and I kind of traveled around those places with my with my mother um and I I actually wrote an outline for a totally different film before that was uh set in a post-apocalyptic Ireland where like different moments from the past repeated themselves and the main character was going to be Grania Whale, Grace O'Malley but like a hundred years in the future kind of thing um but uh, I haven't made that one that's the sequel Uh, that's next (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and the more I thought about it I felt like it was doing trying to do an actual like big historical epic apart from not being able to afford it it wasn't as interesting to me and the more that I read and researched the better what fascinated me was the way there was so many different perspectives on her and interpretations and over the centuries she's been made to mean different things to suit different people so those kind of layers of the of the myths and the the writing about her I thought like well that would be interesting to explore and then um I had an unusual inspiration then by meeting I met this American film producer in New York who said if I could come up with a vehicle for an American actress in Ireland that he thought he could raise some money in the U.S. for it and I thought that sounds like a terrible idea thinking of all the like American and Ireland films that are usually it's like the like Irish American guy comes back to take over the farm or the like American woman comes and falls in love and you know gets up Mm -hmm. to hijinks with the locals and all these cliches but then I was thinking if I could if I could subvert that and kind of use some of those expectations and do something different that that would be fun so I then I can't that was kind of spurred me to actually come up with the basic premise of this and then I contacted that film producer about it and he didn't reply to my emails um so uh but by that point I was hooked so then I ended up applying to the uh, Irish Arts Council for this their new authored works award and um, then they gave us the money so we made it. I think that's so great though not to get and this kind of goes for a lot of people in the industry whether it's filmmakers or actors or whatever you know just because they don't reply back or you might get the first job or you might get the first application of funding you know if you really want to do it and you're hooked on it there's always ways, you know, and to 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 keep going for it. So that's really great. I love that that you still did that because I think it's so easy sometimes to just go, okay, fine, it wasn't meant to be, you know. Whereas no, no there's just different ways to get it done. And then, well, after I got the Arts Council funding, I wrote to him again and said I got the funding. He wrote back right away. No way. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh, really? Interesting. Um, I'd love to ask as well about um, at the beginning you have a gorgeous Emily Dickinson quote um, but are not all facts dreams as soon as we put them behind us uh, when was when did that quote kind of jump out at you um, or kind of spoke to you for the beginning to put at the beginning of this film it was at some point in the writing I can't remember where exactly um, I'm a sucker for good quotes at the start of films and I think have you got like live, laugh, love around your apartment and stuff? <laughs> that was a short, that was a close second for this film, but um, it didn't quite make the cut. But I think, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a very complex film and there's a lot of ideas running around it. Um, when I kind of came across that poem, I thought it was like, oh yeah, that's kind of, that's sort of, that sums up something that's really at the center of the, of the film and helped me understand the film better what I was mm. trying to do so um so it was kind of natural pick but yeah it's one of her um envelope poems that weren't ever published there's just there's this beautiful book of just like things that she wrote on the back of used envelopes mm-hmm. um that some of them might have just been sentences like that one mm. you know more than actual poems necessarily um and uh, yeah that's where I found that loved it I love it I really do and like that as well I kind of carried it with me throughout the film especially my second time watching it um with Grace O'Malley I mean I've always heard of her but I was never actually 
when I was kind of rethinking back, I was never actually really kind of educated or, or taught about it that much. And I was kind of so baffled as to why, because I really enjoyed learning more about this amazing character throughout your film. And there kind of definitely has been, as you were saying, like a surge of interest in recent years in Grania Whale um, or Ireland's Pirate Queen or Grace O'Malley, um, who, whatever you would like to call her. She's got so many different names. Um, and obviously she's known for, you know, she took to high seas at age 11, defied Queen Elizabeth I and rebelled, rebelled against the English army and, you know, all like occasionally while pregnant. And I think that yours is kind of a really unique, unique take on on her and a really important addition to all of the works that have been kind of done on her. So I'd love to ask as well about like to chat me through your casting process because you have just this amazing duo you've got Dale Rickey and Judith Roddy Dale plays the the grieving kind of American filmmaker and then Judith is her her kind of her Irish assistant who she um finds to bring her along on her journey with her who also kind of has a lot of baggage underneath um and when did you so how did you come across these two ladies and then when did you know that you kind of had the right duo for this project well Dale Dickey was was my first choice for for casting that role and it was the first person that we approached but I wasn't when I initially came up with it I didn't have anyone in mind in particular and she's someone that I just knew from films you know she's one of those like most people don't know her name but you know her face because she's been a character actor in so many TV shows and movies, mm. and um, particularly uh, film Winter's Bone. Mm. She started with Jennifer Lawrence was one that I really loved her in. And I get I get excited when thinking about casting about like putting an actor, letting an actor do something that they don't usually get to do. And I kind of I became aware that when I was quite young, because my mom wasn't in the film world, but um, she had a lot of friends who were actors or were involved in film. And um, there was uh, a great Irish actress, Ruth McCabe, who was like a friend of my mother's, who's, she was like the nurse in my left foot and different things. And I used to think watching her on screen and then knowing her that it was like, she had all this range in how she behaved in life but then she tended to get certain kinds of roles in films but it was clear she could, there was all these other things that she could do mm. and so I was wondering that about Dale Dickey as well because she she play she generally plays like very hard southern um kind of uh like working class characters who are criminals or addicts or like you know this kind of thing and one thing I like to do when I'm casting is tr see if I can uh, find the actors on a podcast like this kind of thing, like if, if where you can just listen to an actor talk for like an hour and get a sense of them. Mm. Um, and so I did that. I did that with Dale and with Dale, I could see that it was like, oh, yeah, there's clearly she's got all these other things going on that I hadn't seen in some of those other films so she could I feel like she could definitely do it and it would be fun for all of us because it's not you know a kind of character she's played before um so yeah so that was exciting and then I just wrote a letter that got sent to her agent and um she uh I think when she heard it was in Ireland she was like before she read anything it's just like yeah let's does she have any uh, connection to Ireland or well, other than the natural kind of Irish um, love affair. She, she's from uh, she's from Knoxville, Tennessee, and they're mostly like Scotch Irish. Okay. There. So there's like, yeah, um, a bit of a connection. And she'd mm -hmm. actually coincidentally, years ago, she'd done a reading of a play about Grania Whale in New York that a friend of hers had written um, that I don't think was ever produced, but she was like, at play, so she'd actually run into that part before. Mm. Um, and yeah, she connected to the character in a lot of ways. And then um, Judith, uh, yeah, Judith, I'd like met a few times before and I'd seen her on stage in Pan Pan Theatre 
productions in one of their like experimental plays and I thought she just had like great presence and energy and a kind of physicality to what she did and I thought you know we had an unconventional development process with this where I wrote a lot of the script in rehearsal with the actors like I'd done on my previous uh, fiction feature out of here so um and given you know the weird fantastical nature of some of the film I thought the the kind of theater she, she'd done before um gave me the impression she'd be up to, you know to do some some uh, play with some weird ideas and was it that's such an interesting way of of working was it quite a collaborative process or was it just more that for you it was kind of more on the spot or in the moment um creating the the script I guess the story that you wanted to make it was it was a bit of both like when I'd done it before on out of here it was um you know that film was about kind of like young people in Dublin in their 20s and people were cast very close to their um to who they actually were so there was a lot of room for people to bring them just bring their own experiences to it and um this was a bit different because the characters are so specific and they have uh these backgrounds and all this you know especially Judith's part with all this knowledge of Grand Whale and stuff you know, you can't really like throw an actor in a room and be like, like improvise your uh, ideas about history. Mm. It's uh, so it was it was a bit more written, but it was uh, what doing it in that environment. I really love because you get you're able to get immediate feedback and dialogue about what you're doing. So I could go home and write something and then we try it out the next day. And immediately they they can tell me, no, that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think she should talk more about this or we haven't addressed this and I can um, take that in. So uh, they get to, uh, they get to bring a lot to it that way and helping me figure out what's, what's right for the characters. Definitely. I just also want to say the fact that there was a, a New York siren in the background. You definitely are in New York. Like you're not lying. I think I just think that was a, a perfect addition to the to the podcast. <laughs> but I think I just think that's such a, a really great way of working and, and it's quite refreshing. And I loved what you were saying there about with Dale that you know, there was, there was more, there was more in her wheelhouse than, than she had been maybe able to do in, in other films. And I imagine that'd be so refreshing as an actor to, to be giving, given something that might uh, challenge you in a different way that you haven't been before. Um, because it's so easy to kind of just box actors into, you know, they do this style and they do that when really, you know, the kind of, which is, you know, which is fair in one way, but also, you know, actors are actors because they want to play and they and they want to be so many different characters so I'd say that was just really uh, really great for Dale to kind of get this thing that was uh, different to what she had done for before mm-hmm. and you kind of touched on it there I just think it's such an interesting format and one that I really haven't seen a lot of the uh, kind of a documentary style yet still feature film kind of format and what was I know that's kind of your vibe and what what was that like kind of combining the two genres or medium of filmmaking maybe if that's the right word well I think the the documentary that I'd made before this um the image you missed which was kind of a what I call like an essay film style documentary that had a it had a lot of voiceover and archive and was mixing together all these different elements I think that making that film opened me up to a lot of new ideas and techniques of how I could make a film and Mm. I brought some of that to this in that you know there's all this like you know research about Granuel and archival elements and quotes that are brought in and I wanted them to not to really feel um, alive in the film that it's not just something that uh the characters refer to occasionally but it's also um that they they have a kind of those elements have a living presence in the film as much as the actors so there's these moments where we dip into different books or photos or 
or films that they're um, looking at. Uh, so I guess, yeah, because of making that documentary, I've felt quite free to just let those things blend together. And I love as well, like the first scene that with the camera shot of um, Fionn and, and Judith in the, the cameras in the back of the car, you know, so you really feel from the get go, you really feel like you're kind of a fly on the wall or, you know, you're there with them then throughout the rest of the journey, you know, it really kind of starts mm -hmm. from the get go, which I really, really loved. So you chose to shoot it on 16. Uh, millimeter film so chat to me about what the the choice was because I, or why you chose to do that I guess because I really loved it because I think it just gave it a whole other element of kind of otherworldliness and a whole other kind of different perspective so when was it that you knew that that's how you wanted to shoot it um so I well I always had the idea that Dale's character Moira the film that she's making the film within the film mm. would be would be shot on film um, and that she's just this kind of like old school New York experimental filmmaker where like that's her that's her thing and originally I that's all I was thinking and the rest would be digital because I thought well it'd be crazy to shoot the whole thing on film but um, as we were trying to figure out it's actually like it almost would have been more complicated to shoot on film and digital and have to have two setups for the whole thing yeah kind of like double the the equipment and the work and yeah and uh would have meant I had to really lock in some choices because I was also free in the editing of this to blur the lines and be like this was shot for one purpose but now actually this is going to be something that more shot or something you know and then also there's a point in the film where I kind of wanted to feel like you're like wait are we in the film that Moira's making or is this the film that Donald's making? And if it's all the same format, you're freer to do that. Definitely. So there was all, all these sensible reasons to do the most insensible thing of shooting the whole thing on film in 20 days on these um, remote locations in the west of Ireland. And um, we had a great uh, cinematographer, Diana Vajrascu, uh, who's Romanian and based in Paris and has a lot of experience shooting on film. So she was also, of course, encouraging me to do this. Um, although it was uh, it was definitely difficult and, you know, like caused a lot of challenges along the way. Even just finding a camera, like we couldn't find a camera to rent in Ireland to, to shoot on 16. We had to get the, the equipment package from Paris in the end and had to send the footage to London, place to get it processed, but it was worth it, I think. And all the kind of influences, the sort of films that I was thinking about and inspired by making this were all shot on film. Mm. And at a certain point, I think, I think when you're shooting digital, you need to like embrace that and not be wishing it was film or trying to make it look like film. Know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, it's better to like embrace the what the medium itself has to offer. So I'm would you do it here. again? I would I would do it again. I, I wouldn't do it again like the exact same way or for mm. in those circumstances with that budget because mm. of how hard it was. Like I wouldn't drive myself crazy in that particular way before. But I think it's also important, like, you know, I want film to survive and it to be that, that that people keep using it um and so I think with that as well you got to put your money where your mouth is sometimes and like it's not if pe if people don't pay for it and shoot films on it then it's not gonna be around and definitely I really really loved the choice I think I just think it elevated the film even more um and actually Diana was was going to be the next thing I was going to ask about because the cinematography in it is I think is just absolutely stunning and kind of takes you know tourism Ireland to to a whole new level so what was it so how did you meet Diana and how did that kind of relationship come about? Um, I'd met her at the Rotterdam Film Festival where I'd shown um, the documentary The Image You Missed that I made before and um, 
we got on and I was interested. She's also an experimental filmmaker in her own right and usually shoots on film and is very interested in her work in like wild mountainous landscapes. And she made a film about like a volcanic island. And um, so I thought her, her like sense of landscape um, and coming from a more unconventional background as well, I thought would uh, would kind of add to the project. And yeah, so we just, uh, we didn't know each other that well, but we're kind of, she was excited about it and worked out well. And she had experience in in shooting in 16, in film then as well. So yeah. I imagine that was quite, quite a big uh, um, plus. Yeah, which also is not that, you know, easy to find. Yeah, exactly. You know, definitely. Feels comfortable shooting on it. Um, and chat to me then about the locations. So you shot on Clare Island, Ackle Island, Lewisburg in Mayo and then obviously in Dublin as well but did you kind of did you have any weather issues did you come across any obstacles throughout um the the shoot on on the different locations um I mean lots of obstacles nothing too like we were generally blessed with the weather there was one day where it was just raining too much and we couldn't shoot but usually it worked out all right there'd be you know you get some days where it's just such bizarre eccentric weather like it it rains for 20 minutes and then it's sunny for 20 minutes and then it rains again mm-hmm. and you're like, you've shot one half the scene in the rain and then you're like oh I guess we have to wait for the it to rain again or you know whatever um yeah because if you didn't it would genuinely look like you shot it in two different days or different places <laughs> yeah yeah I mean the hardest thing really is having to shoot so fast you know, shooting in in 20 days is is brutal and is kind of standard for like low budget films these days. But I feel like there should be it should be a separate separate category of film, you know, at festivals or in awards that there's like the films that had three months or six months to shoot and the films that were shot in 20 days because mm. it's kind of not the same art form. You're not like you have to operate creatively in a totally different way because you're you're having you are having to like compromise compromise and just kill your darlings on a more mm. extreme you could level. you know the way instead of at the beginning of a few some films it's you know based on a true story or whatever you could just have by the way shot this in 20 days <laughs> based on a script that we didn't have the time to yeah exactly completely and the original score in this film I just think is so beautiful and it's I think it's quite dreamy and it and it creates the the perfect amount of kind of epicness and drama and then and then tension as well at the same time so how did you come across or and choose your two composers for this so yeah Nick and Alessia um really talented couple of composers and musicians it was just through asking around um some uh, musician friends in Dublin that I got put in touch with them and they were kind of they had the perfect mix of of skills and experience because they're so versatile and wide-ranging in what they can do Mm. and as well as the orchestral score they did pretty much all the other music in the film so there was things where I thought I was going to have to like license a song that like a kind of blues song that plays in the background while they're in the living room and then they Nick and Alessia were just like no we can do that yeah they did like um they did this like punk industrial soundtrack to Moira's uh, older film they did a, a blues song a jazz song um some you know like the uh, traditional Irish music that's like playing in the museum they did all of it because um, those other ones like they cost so much and people like I don't think people realize how like if you even want a, a minute or you know a clip of any kind of song that's that's already out there it's just a, a huge amount added onto your budget yeah yeah and the the like 40 seconds of the song at the start which is the one thing that they uh, didn't uh make that's like a song by Bert Janch mm. um it's um yeah that's the most I ever paid um for a, a bit of music yeah. but, um they uh so yeah they did you know all these different elements or Alessia's from she's from Ukraine and she actually did 
like a keening song in Irish that we hear like in the distance. She's like singing kind of a bit of like Chano style um, singing as well. And then the orchestral score, I had some kind of reference points from um, films I was inspired by that, you know, I had an idea of the general feel that I wanted and then they were able to really create a pretty big orchestral sound, but just record, they just recorded it in their house, like one musician at a time, you know, mm. kind of putting it together. It's um, really impressive. It's really, really gorgeous, I have to say. So you wrote it, directed it, and then you edited it as well. So how, how do you find wearing all of those different hats? Does it come quite naturally or do you kind of have to switch off and focus on each individual one or even as you're directing are you thinking about the being in the editing room um yeah I'm definitely like thinking about it all at once and I, I think it's because I kind of like I grew up making films from a young age and mm. used to think of it it's just it's like one activity it's filmmaking and you do whatever task is needed at that stage so it all kinds of kind of grows out of the same thing and um it's but i think directing is the main thing and the most important thing to me and then i i don't consider myself a natural writer i like write so that i can direct it um and editing i feel a bit more at home in like i do really just love and enjoy uh that process and i think it does help to um like I am, think I'm always thinking about how things cut together, especially when you're working fast and thinking like, okay, if we cut that shot, will this cut to this? And, you know, that kind of technical thinking. And so, yeah, I think it's all, it's all good as long as I make sure that I have other people around to mm. bounce things off on and um, keep me honest and stop me getting like lost in my own either enthusiasm or like hypercritical nature of course things. naturally as creatives of course yes. and I guess that I like that brings me on to how you know having the people around you to you know keep you going or or also you know or to be able to bounce things off and stuff how how do you know when when it's finished you know how do you know when okay this is the final edit you know how did you did you have many edits before? Did it change throughout the edit? Changed so much. Um, and there was, particularly the last, the kind of last half of the film where things start to get stranger, there was a lot of different mm. possibilities um, for that. And there was kind of, I knew there was going to be these different voiceover elements, but a lot of that was written in the editing. Um, so that felt a bit more like, the way things can change with the documentary. The editing really dragged out. It, it took place over about a year and a half because we shot just before the pandemic. And then I was editing on and off through the pandemic when I was able to focus on it. Um, so it's hard to know, you know, like a lot of pandemic things, it's like how much of that was the film or just the circumstances. Mm. Um, but yeah, it definitely took a while to, to figure it out. And I think with like knowing when it's finished, it's usually just like reaching a point of exhaustion where you start, when you start making changes and it's getting worse. <laughs> Step away. And it's like, maybe it was better yesterday. Maybe let's go back. Maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, yeah. You just kind of reach a point where it's like, okay. But I mean, I'm such a like obsessive perfectionist that I was, you know, throughout sound design and color I was tweaking I was even going back and thinking well maybe let's take two frames off mm. here and um still if I see it like I'll, I'll see something that I think I should have of course you know? of course so what was then with with COVID then I guess in the middle what was the what was the rough kind of timeline from say getting the arts council on board to the first time you saw it on the big screen Got the funding, was kind of researching and prepping it through 2019. And then we shot it in like September, October. And then took a break for a few months. And then January 2020, I was like, okay, let's get stuck into this. Mm -hmm. um, 
a year ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it was like finished towards the end of 2021. So the first screening was this year, March, in March. So yeah. it was like, yeah, over three years from when we got the funding, I guess. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. These things all, it all feels relative because I know people who spend like 10 years raising money for a yeah. film and five years editing it and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just becomes but, a bit of a blur. I mean, it was a real blessing to just have that support from the Arts Council because it was just film fully funded in one mm. swoop and they just give you a lot of freedom to make the film you want to make and you were you kind of touched earlier about how you know I guess this film would be categorized genre-wise as experimental which I imagine is quite a freeing term you know not having to be put in a genre box like drama or thriller or comedy um and is that what you you quite like in 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 your filmmaking and is that the feeling of the film that like that it's more of an offering as opposed to you know you're telling the audience something or yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't actually like volunteer to call it experimental Mm. I think it's got experimental elements to it but it's tricky I think because I think like being defined as experimental can be even more of a box in a way because people have so many like preconceptions or ideas about that even Mm -hmm. if they're vague ones it's like oh so there's no story oh yeah it'll be or so oh it's just for a tiny audience or something like that um but uh whereas you know I think it does play with genre there's like kind of genre elements in it that are sort of uh, hinted at or established and then subverted you know I kind of and I kind of thought of the idea of the whole film as like a film that starts off in a more linear setup where you have this familiarity of it's like okay two characters who are different but have something in common and they're going to go on this journey together and they're kind of getting closer to their destination and they're meeting interesting characters maybe they're going to learn something from these other so it starts off like that and then it kind of goes off the rails and the Mm. film sort of falls apart in a way and becomes almost another kind of film and that that's more exciting to play with is to kind of work you know work with familiar elements and then subvert them and turn them upside down rather than to start in a place of like already swimming in something yeah totally like unfamiliar and confusing or something you know definitely um and I like playing with that tension of kind of you know there are characters that hopefully feel kind of real and emotional and have these pasts who are um going into this otherworldly thing so yeah I think a lot of that those categories it's like you know, if I was applying to like a film festival that wanted mm. experimental films, then it, yeah, it's an experimental film. Sure, show my film, please. But <laughs> uh, it's it all depends on the context and who you're talking to. I think. Exactly, definitely. Well, I think I I really love that that it kind of collapses the boundaries between history and mythology and like you were saying, fact and fiction, and then documentary and. Uh, classic kind of film style all building to um a really terrific scene near the end that I think actually with lesser talent attached it could have fallen flat because of how kind of different it is and I think Dale and Judith just do such a gorgeous gorgeous job in this and I love that the women take care of each other at different times um and it's 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 a complex a complex relationship, you know. You kind of never really know where either of them are standing with each other at times. Um, like it's not entirely defined by employee and employer, or necessarily even as a friendship either. You know, it kind of blends between a lot of different kinds of relationships. What was what was it that? And I know at the beginning we were kind of talking about how layered you know, Grand Newell stories can get. I particularly love the one where 
they're they're shooting with the with the actors and she says you know well wasn't she supposed to be bald you know whale is 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 irish for for bald and you know she cut her hair and you know it's it kind of just grew and grew and grew um was it that you wanted to just offer all of these different kinds of opinions and stories about granuel as opposed to actually like this is the story i want to tell yeah because it is it's the multiplicity of it that was most fascinating to me i think and then you know inevitably like i do i make i'm making a lot of choices about you know which stories i'm emphasizing or which interpretations um and uh you know it, there's so it's not like a kind of free for all of putting anything in but i think i was especially fascinated like that example about whale meaning bald but then her family name is Niwalia mm. and thinking well like maybe somewhere along the line someone was like spelt it because every English document they yeah. like, spell her name they pronounce her name different so it literally could have just been like someone misread her name and thought she was bald and then someone made up for it or there's another story we use in the film about Breck Prince the love affair with which is I've read about before as it being like a folk tale that's been mm. passed on. and then from from doing more reading I'm pretty sure it started in a novel this English romance novel about Grania Whale that was written in 1850 but everyone's forgotten about the novel so they think it's a real folk tale and that idea of things going back and forth from the kind of the like myth to the literature to the folk tale to the you know historical fact um conspiracy theory <laughs> <laughs> yes i got i've got my tinfoil hat on for my <laughs> ideas on grown you well and and yeah i think then just thinking how that like that could also be connected in this strange way to a story about grief and loss mm-hmm. and thinking about how we relate to the people in our lives that we've lost and the stories that we tell about them and the me- the meanings that we put on people after they're gone mm-hmm. um so uh it that just seemed like a rich you know mess of stuff to and it is it's it, it is it's really rich throughout and i think i would say to um like people who haven't seen it or you know to the audience to not necessarily to expect any kind of clear answers or you know biopic facts but I just what I took away from it was just a really emotionally engaging experience and um yeah I just I just really loved that about the film um but another thing that I loved was a scene where the man is sitting at the bar in Clare Island um talking to Dale's character and he says that Grania Whale is in the genes in the people in Clare Island um, so I know that there were obviously um, a lot of actors involved, like Andrew Bennett and Clint Walton and that. But were there any locals that got involved then as well? One of my favorite lines also is when the guy in the shop says, oh, you're making a film. If you need any actors, you know, I just thought that yeah. was I've definitely heard that uh, before. So, yeah. Did you have kind of uh, any local local thespians coming forth? Um, well, actually, the uh, you know, the that old fellow in the pub that you mentioned is um is not a local he's uh uh old irish filmmaker bob quinn who was one of the like irish first wave filmmakers he made first irish language film Puchin, and mm-hmm. um, uh, a lot of great stuff and he also made the first films on clare island he made a feature there with donald mccann in the 80s budawani mm-hmm. so he has this um connection to the island going way back and some of his films were like a real inspiration to me um so I convinced them to come out and and do that scene that's which a was, really that was nice the, full circle yeah and that was one of the few scenes that was just totally improvised um I just got him you know to to waffle about a few things um mm-hmm. but in terms of other locals I mean we had a lot of great like um support and help from them and there's the um scene in the pub that's like that's all locals and um uh one of the the young guys who's uh 
his mother runs the bar there he's doing the dancing um so that scene you see a lot of locals and occasionally um spotted about but all of the um all of the actors are actors that's mm -hmm. uh killian roche in the shop and um and i've been surprised that some people were had thought that you know or people who don't know andrew bennett who's like oh so you got the guy just the local fairy guy. No, <laughs> well i mean he clearly does a very good job then <laughs> <laughs> So it was uh, if that scene with uh, Mr. Crin was improvised, was I imagine then the scene with Donald Clark, the film critic at the beginning, was also uh, improvised then as well. <laughs> that was actually fairly rehearsed um, because uh, so I got um, I got Donald Clark to come uh, when we were a few weeks of rehearsal. I got him in and I sent him a sort of biography of. Uh, Moore's the filmmaker that Dale was playing saying like so she started making films here and she made a few films and then she did this and then she stopped making films just to give him a sense of like who he was talking to and then we did a rehearsal like a half an hour Q&A with her totally improvised wow. um, and I would just kind of give them directions and nudging and I had to nudge him to basically be more um more confident a bit less. <laughs> he would have been nicer if I let him um and so from that I like wrote a script that he pretty much stuck to he kind of said it in his own words yeah he did a he did a very good job I thought it was a really good representation of uh, a Q&A I've been at a few Q&As in my time where they've just gotten a bit awkward and everyone in the cinema is like, just get me out of here, let alone with the breakup going on behind you. So there's a whole lot going on in, in that yeah. IFI scene, which I just think is fantastic. Um, but I, I really, really loved it, I have to say. So congratulations on a wonderful film. So as always, I like to ask my guests um, what their favourite Irish film is or kind of most uh, one that they'll return back to. Um, and if there's been a film throughout your life that has had quite a big impact um, in any way, shape or form. Oh, um, a favourite Irish film, I think today I would say Maeve by Pat Murphy, um, which is another kind of first wave film from the early 80s, mm -hmm. which um, I saw... Um, it's, you know, it's about the troubles in Northern Ireland from this, like, very interesting feminist point of view. And I saw it while I was researching my uh, my doc, The Image You Missed, and it was such an inspiration. I ended up quoting some parts of it in it. But it's such a unique film in its ideas and in its style that I don't think there's been anything like it since. Um in in Irish film or even like anywhere else that really does it in with that style and that angle um mm. so uh yeah that's one that I'd encourage anyone to check out amazing and then a, a film that's been a just more generally important yeah I mean this life. could be a positive impact this could be one that you never want to see again this could be one you know that you constantly go back to if you're you know having a sick day and you just always throw on it makes you laugh it could be or maybe one that in, inspired you to start making films anything because I, I hate I do hate the term favorite film so it's kind right, of just right. like anything that's moved you in some sort of way um I think off the top of my head, I'd say, well, uh, John Cassavetes, the American independent filmmaker, he he was like one of the most important filmmakers for me as a teenager, after I'd already been making films like with my friends for a few years, but I hadn't really thought that seriously about it. Um, and he made a film called Faces, which is about a kind of marriage falling apart. And he just shot it on weekends in his house with like friends and family over several years and just the way he was able to make a film that's like so emotionally intense and well acted mm. in that way I thought was very inspiring that oh you don't really need you don't need a lot to like make a film that can be moving and that can 
will stand the test of time. Definitely. I'm going to add that on my list. This is why I do. I love asking people this because my list is just getting longer and longer. Well, thank you so much, Donald. I really, really appreciate the time uh, for you coming on to talk to me um, and well done again. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing Granuel in the Irish Film London Festival. It's going to be on on the 19th of November in the Riverside Studios at 5 p.m. And you can get tickets on the website for that now. So thanks so much, Donald. Thanks very much. It's also playing in Belfast and Derry at the Foil Film Festival oh, in November as well. So. Amazing. Brilliant. Even better. Even better because we've got people listening from everywhere. So I'm delighted it's it's getting to be seen more and more. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't already seen it. And thanks a million, Donald. We'll talk to you very, very soon. And that's it for this week's interview. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you to Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme. Myself and Jerry will be back in a fortnight with a brand new interview. See you then.